0: Just uh, clear your message, and I'll give you a call back. Thanks. Hey, you're never going to guess what just happened to me. Just give me a call back as soon as you can. Hey, good morning. Isn't it great to be at New Spring? It's been a tough weekend, hasn't it? Spring breaks over. It snowed on the first day of spring. And KU. Second round, and I know you're all grieving, even the K-State fans, I'm not fooled by those silly grins. <laughs> we started to pass out black armbands with a worship card today. <laughs> I think that's one thing, I, I mean, I love so much about New Spring, but no matter what's going on in the weekend, it's just great to come in here and get reset, isn't it? Yeah. Our series is called I Saw Jesus at Starbucks, and there's a fundamental question that this series is all about, and that is... Does a man who lived 2,000 years ago have any relevance or significance to those of us who live in the $4 cup coffee age? That's what I want to know. And for many of us who are considered Christians, or perhaps much of the world who considers itself Christian, I think that there's a little bit of a disconnect, and I think it goes like this. That there are a lot of people who don't feel like the person of Jesus, Jesus is all that relevant, because after all, he lived in a very different time frame than us, never owned a car, never had a computer, never texted anybody. You know, didn't Twitter. He didn't do any of those kinds of things. He lived a long time ago, and we sort of see him contextualized, locked in time, wearing a robe, going around, uh, talking to people, blessing people. And of course, we don't know what Jesus looked like. So for a lot of us, we have a sort of um, well, we have sort of a Renaissance era picture of Jesus in our minds, and we, we look at that as, as the, look at Jesus as if he was a historical figure. But the Christian part comes in based on the fact that Jesus left some teachings behind. So for those of us who follow Jesus' teachings, those teachings become sort of a a code for us, and those of us who adapt our lives somewhat to that code are Christians. Could I tell you that if that's what it's all about, I'm wasting my time today and you're wasting your time, because if all we've done is adapt a code based on Jesus' teachings then we might be able to enhance this life a little bit better, but it's going to have absolutely no bearing on what happens five seconds after we die, which is what I'm very interested in. So my, my whole point in this series is to ask the question, does Jesus as a person have any bearing upon the lives that we live today? And I believe that he does, because as we're going to celebrate in just a few weeks, Jesus was not just a man who lived a good exemplary life who left us some teachings. He was God who became human. And because of that, he is not locked in time. He is not compartmentalized into, in an era of time 2,000 years ago. As we saw last week, he, he's always been here. He's, he was here from the beginning because nothing was made, nothing was created that he did not have his fingerprints on. So long before there was ever a world, the person we know as Jesus was god and did exist and 10 trillion years from now of course we won't be measuring things in years probably but 10 trillion years from now he will be around he died on a cross after living a perfect life and then three days later as we just sang a few moments ago he walked out of the grave under his own power he is alive and through his spirit he is present here today he is hearing every word i'm saying knows every thought you're thinking he is the son of god he is the king of glory he is a person and he is who it's all about And the Bible says that anybody who has him has life, as we saw last week, and that is what is so exciting about Jesus. So let me just ask you this then, and this this will frame the few minutes of talk that we have today. Just what exactly does it mean to be a Christian? Or maybe we could ask it this way. What is it that God wants from us? I believe I can sum it up, and, and this isn't me talking, this is, this is the Bible. I think I can sum up what God wants in two statements. And the first one is, receive a gift. That is the very first thing that God wants you to do. He wants you to receive a gift. What is that gift? What's in play? What's at stake with this gift? It is simply this. It is what the Bible calls at some point salvation. Jesus called it the new birth, being born again. Sometimes we call it regeneration. Generation means life. Re means new life. But basically, here's the deal. Here's what we're talking about. When we talk about the gift, we're talking about forgiveness of sins. We're talking about an irrevocable, unbreakable relationship with God. And here's the big one, eternal life. This is what the Bible talks about again and again and again. Jesus talked about it. The gift is eternal life. Now, let me ask you a question. And I'm not trying to be tricky. Obviously, you're not going to respond to me audibly anyway. But let's just, let's just work through this. If I ask you today, are you going to heaven And your answer is yes or probably. If I were to take that to the next question and say, on what basis do you think you're going to heaven? If you were to give me back the sort of standard answer that people give, I think I'm going to heaven because I'm a pretty good person. I love you so much that I'm going to run the risk of offending you and tell you that based on the Bible, if your answer has anything to do with you, your conduct, your background, your family, or anything else, you're not going yet. You're not going. Because there is only one way to have an unbreakable relationship with Jesus Christ based on unconditional love, and that is to receive a gift. And let me explain why. The only reason why we think that we're pretty good going to heaven because we're pretty good is we're measuring ourselves by each other. And we're saying, well, you know, I'm not a serial killer. I I haven't, you know, haven't done any damage to anybody else too much. I'm a fairly nice person. So I think I'm probably okay. See, we measure ourselves by everybody else. But the Bible presents such a different picture. God is a perfectly holy God. To be in heaven, you have to be a perfectly holy person. My word, I can't be perfectly good for 30 minutes, you know? And even if I could, what am I going to do about all the junk in my past? How am I going to pay for what I have done? See, as long as we're looking at each other, we can say, well, I'm pretty good. But when we start measuring against God and being good enough to go to heaven... We are running into trouble real fast, which is why God gives us two statements in Romans chapter 3. There is nobody righteous, not even one, and all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This is why you and I cannot go to heaven on our own. So if I, if, if I were to say to you, hey, I think I'm going to heaven because I'm a pretty good person, I just admit to you, I'm not going because I'm counting on the wrong thing. I'm counting on my own goodness. In the book of Ephesians chapter, eight, chapter 2, excuse me, verses 8 and 9, God tells us how to receive the gift of eternal life, and he stipulates twice in one sentence that it is a gift. Listen to these words. It is by grace that you are saved, not of works. It is the gift of God. Now, the word grace there is from the Greek word charas, C-H-A-R-A-S. For instance, if you ever say that someone has charisma, what you're saying is she is gifted. If you say that someone is charismatic, what you're saying is, He has many gifts. He is a gifted person because charisma or charis means gift. So what is God saying? It is by a gift that you are saved. And just in case we might miss it, in the same breath, God says, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works. In other words, not of good deeds or good things that we would do. And here's the reason why God doesn't want it to be what we do so that anyone could boast God is saying if we got to heaven and we said hey I'm here because I'm pretty good we could say well I'm here because of me and God will not have that heaven is all about Jesus in fact scripture says in the book of Ephesians it is for Jesus sake that God has forgiven us heaven is all about Jesus he is the only perfect one and the only way for you and me to get there is by receiving a gift I don't know what it is but there's something about our human nature that rebels against that We want to pay our own way, but we can't. It must be a gift. It can only be by a gift. And the good news is that gift is on the table. God has made that gift possible. He didn't buy it with plastic. He didn't buy it with currency. He bought it, Peter says, with the precious blood of his own son. Precious there doesn't mean, the, it means rare, it's like a precious metal, something extraordinarily rare. Only one person had the blood type that would work to pay for sin, and that was the innocent son of God, Jesus. This is why I'm saying, no, no, no. It's not just a series of teachings that he left us that we adapt and become part of a code. It isn't that. It, it is the precious blood of God's son, Jesus. When he lay on that cross, his blood became a currency that paid for every sin that you and I have ever committed. Wow, that is awesome. And what you get when you invite Jesus Christ into your life to be your Savior, you get a, a relationship with God that is eternal based on unconditional love. And here's the part I like that is irrevocable. Somebody could say, well, Mark, I screw up so much. I have put my confidence in Jesus, but man, it's like two steps forward and one step back. Or maybe one step forward and two steps back. Is God going to kick me out? Is God going to kick me to the curb? Is God going to take my clothes and stuff and throw it in the street because I keep screwing up? No. It is an irrevocable relationship. That gift was exactly a gift. Hey, listen, if you get a gift with strings attached, it's not a gift. But I'll tell you, God's gift to you is based on unconditional love, and it is irrevocable. Listen to the words of Jesus. Before I get there, let me make a point. A lot of people have the idea that eternal life is what you get when you die. You try to live a good life, and when you get to the end, if your good works that way, your bad works, God says, okay, now that you're dying, I'm going to give you eternal life. Isn't that how some of us have been taught? Bogus, totally bogus. Listen to Jesus. John 5, verse 24. He said, he that hears my word and believes on him who sent me has everlasting life. Let me ask you a question. Have you put your confidence in Jesus? You know, when I sit down here on stage, I put all of my weight on this chair. I'm not leaning on the table. I don't have a foot on the ground. I've got all my weight on this chair. And that's what Jesus is talking about. And by the way, This is important because some of us could say, "Well, I believe in Jesus, but I think you have to join the church or a particular church." Or, "I believe in Jesus, but I think you have to keep the sacraments." I believe in Jesus, but I think you got to give money. I believe in Jesus, but I think you got to find the ashes of the red heifer. I mean, anything else that you put there, it just it screws it all up. I mean, it's all Jesus. You put all your confidence in Him. It's got to be that way. God will not have it on any other basis. Because frankly, God's not impressed with your church, even though it's New Spring. He loves New Spring, but New Spring can't get you into heaven. Does not impress God, okay? I promise you, I sure don't impress him. All that matters to God is his son and those of us who become part of his family through Jesus Christ. Now, here's what Jesus said. Anyone who who believes on him, Jesus said that person has, right now, everlasting life and will never come into condemnation but is already passed from death to life. So, somebody could say, well, okay, that's where religion comes in. You know, we, we accept, we get, we get salvation, it's a gift, but now we got to be religious. Isn't it cool? I mean, for, I don't know if, do I have anybody, you know, don't have to raise your hand, although you would probably do it. Um, is there anybody else who, just like me, is a poster child for ADD? I mean, I'm serious, I really have it. I mean, I, I promise you, I'm a clinical study in ADD. I have an attention span that's about that long, as you can probably tell from listening to me speak. Um, anybody, anytime anybody gives me a list, it's a lost exercise. You know, someone will say, here's 10 ways to be a millionaire. I think I'll be broke. I mean, <laughs> I won't remember more than one of them. I am so glad that when it comes down to living Christian life, God gets it down to two words, aren't you? God just gets it down to two things. So are you ready for those two words? Here they are. If you want to live a godly life, here's the two words. Give money. No, I'm just kidding with you. (laughs) For a lot of you, that's been your church experience, right? (laughs) Give money. Join church. Do sacraments. No, no. If you want to know what the Christian life is in two words, Jesus said it this way. Follow See, do you see what I'm trying to say to you? This is the whole thing behind Jesus at Starbucks. This is not about keeping rules. This is not even about adhering necessarily to Jesus' teachings, although that's an important thing, and I'll show you why in a moment. But it's a, he's a living person. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you want to get it down, just follow me. Follow me. Uh, maybe a way of saying that today would be Jesus was saying, imitate me. Do what you see me do. Say what you, see, say what you see, hear me say. Live like you see me live. Jesus is saying, just follow me. It's as simple as that. That is the Christian life. In the brief moments that I have with you today, I want to take you to three scriptures, three texts of scripture where Jesus said, follow me. And he said it all the time because he wanted people to get it. Follow me, follow me, follow me. I want to take you to three. And I think that when we leave today, with God's help, with the Holy Spirit's help, we'll have a much clearer idea of what it means to follow Jesus. I want to take you to what I think is maybe one of the most important scriptures in in the Bible. It's in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 24. Jesus is talking on this very topic. He said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my followers, okay, we have our hand up at that point, those of us who have trusted Christ, we're saying, okay, that's us, we want to be your followers. Jesus said, here's what you need to do. You must turn from your selfish ways Take up your cross and follow me. Now, you see that second time he uses the word follow? It means literally to get on the same road with. You know, you can't follow somebody if you're not on the same road with him or her. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you got to get on the same road with me. Have you ever met Christians that you thought, whoa, if that's what being a Christian is all about, I don't want anything, I don't want anything to do with it. The problem with that person is they're not on the same road with Jesus you know I've got friends who are not christ' followers that just almost bristle at the at the idea of a christian I, I've got Jewish friends that, in their minds, when they think of Christian they think about you know they think about you know military conflicts where powers, national powers demanded that they convert to Christ or be killed and when, the, when they hear the word Christian that's what they think about, there, there are people all over the world that have a negative vibe about Christians because somebody has behaved in a way that's very different from Jesus and the problem is they're trying to follow Jesus but on a different road and Jesus is saying listen, if you want to follow me first thing you got to do is you got to get on the same road with me and what do you have to do to get on the same road with Jesus? Oh boy He said, you have to turn off the selfish road. (laughs) That's a little painful, isn't it? Because it's just natural for us to think life is about me. Life is about me getting what I want. Life is about other people liking me. Life is about me not having any issues with family. Life is people all saying good things about me. Life is about me, and Jesus is saying, Sorry, if you want to follow me, you can't walk on that road. Now, maybe you can get the gift of eternal life and get hell insurance, but if you want to be my follower, you got to get on the same road with me, and you got to get off the road of selfishness. And then he said, You got to take up your cross. What does that mean? Well, I can never understand why Jesus is unpopular because it seems to me that the God who became human and live for us, and obviously he didn't live a life of selfishness. His whole life was about pleasing God and and serving people. I can never understand why he's so unpopular. I think it has to do with that ego thing of I want to do it myself. I think that's why people push back against Jesus. For some reason... The world kind of pushes back against Jesus. And if you are a Jesus follower, some of that's going to splash back on you. And Jesus is saying, that's how it means, what it means to, to be my follower. You've got to get off the road of selfishness, be willing to accept the stigma, and get on the same road with me. When I read the Bible, one of the things that I love is you can clearly tell that God anticipates what our reaction to some of this stuff is going to be. God knew we would struggle with that get off the selfish road thing. And so Jesus keeps on talking, and he he says if you try to hang on, read that safe keep is what the actual word means, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. Now, when I was a kid and and I read this scripture, I used to get the idea that Jesus is up in heaven saying, listen, I want you to get off the selfish road and follow me, and oh, by the way, if you try to hold on to your life, I'll rip it away from you. And I, I sort of had the wrong impression, but what I didn't realize was Jesus is just giving us the news there. He's just reporting the news. And here's what he says. If you try to safekeep this life, for those of us who want to be on the selfish road, that's our problem. We're trying to hang on to life and have it on our own terms. And Jesus is simply saying, if you try to safeguard your life, our English word there is lose, but really the Greek word means destroy. Jesus is saying, if you try to hold on to this life and control it, you'll destroy your own life. Hey, isn't it easier to talk about other people when we're talking about problems and flaws? Let's take a deep breath and talk about other people for a minute, okay? Let's forget about us. Do you know anybody who's controlling? Do not look at your husband right now, okay? (laughs) Or your wife. I'm serious. Do do you know anybody who's controlling? Think for a moment. Who comes to mind controlling, control freak? Your mother-in-law? Your boss? Who do you know who's controlling? Why why are people controlling? They're scared to death life is going to get away from them. They want life on their terms. They want life the way they want it. All they want is what they want and now. That is what a controlling person is. They want, they're trying, like Jesus said, they're trying to bank, safe keep this life. Isn't it true those people always wind up destroying relationships, destroying opportunities, and eventually destroying themselves? Can I get a witness on that? Isn't that a fact? See, Jesus isn't saying, if you try to love life, I'll rip it away from you. He's just saying, okay, hey, listen, if you want to be my follower, you need to get off the selfish road, take up your cross, and get over here on the road with me on the road that I'm on. Because after all, if you try to control your life, you'll, you'll mess it all up anyway. And then he adds this, but if you give it up, or if you invest your life for my sake, you will save, save it. And the word save there is the Greek word heurisko. We get our word eureka from it, which means to discover Jesus is saying, if if you're willing to, here's, I think, one of the greatest messages that Jesus wants to get across to us. You and I need to see this life as disposable and investable, and the life to come is what this whole thing is all about. And Jesus is saying, if you're willing to invest your life for my sake, you'll discover it. Hey, I I know what reality is like. Some of us are listening saying, I've already checked out I just lost you the moment you said get off the selfish road. Because I'm not going to do it. I still want I have to think about me and, and my space and my rights. Okay. I get it. I can be that way too. But let me ask you a question. Did you ever know anybody who pretty much just lived for God and lived for others? Think about that for a moment. Was there anybody in your life? For some of you, a grandmother's coming to mind. Or a mom, or a dad, or a friend, somebody you knew. Right? There aren't too many of these people, they don't run in packs. But I mean, haven't you known somebody that just pretty well lived their life for God and for others? Now, let me ask you a question Was that person happy? I'm telling you, the woman I'm thinking about was a delight. She was a person who got off the selfish road, picked up a cross, followed Jesus, loved others, and understood very clearly that if you give your life away, she discovered life. She lived life with, with vigor and with, with joy that the rest of us probably would have a hard time imagining. And she didn't have an easy life. And that's all Jesus is trying to say. He's saying, if you want to follow me, you got to, like, get off the road to selfishness, pick up your cross, come over here on the road that I'm on, because after all, the people who really discover life are the people who are willing to invest it. Follow me. Let me take you to the second text. This time it's in John's Gospel, chapter 8. Jesus said, I am the world's light. No one who follows me stumbles around in the darkness. I provide plenty of light to live in. Do you ever hear anybody try to get around the house in the darkness? Now, we're all chuckling, aren't we? Hopefully the person didn't hurt himself or herself too bad. You ever, if you hear anybody try to walk in darkness, you're, "Ooh, ouch. And probably some words we can't say in church. Or probably anywhere else for that matter, right? I'll tell you what's not funny. I, I spend my life with people, some of the and the greatest people in the world, and sometimes here's what I hear from some of the nicest people. I hear them tell me about trying to navigate the darkness of this world, to have relationships, to have friendships, to date, to get married, to have kids. And I hear the stories of people who are nice people, but they don't have clarity. For anyone who says, I will not get off the selfish road, what you need to understand is that selfish road, although it may be all all about you, the problem with it is it's dark and you can't see where you're going and you just keep making mistake after mistake after mistake and Jesus is saying, okay, I know it's a challenge to get off the selfish road and pick up your cross and follow me, but Jesus is saying the thing about being over here is there's plenty of light. Time out. I grew up in church and I got frustrated with ministers when they talked in metaphorical terms too much. I, I, I would get frustrated with this sermon. Just being honest with you. If I was sitting out listening to the sermon when I was a kid, I'd get a little frustrated with it because this idea of following Jesus was a little bit too ex, as existential for me. I, I'd like to know what it means in real terms. What does Jesus mean by if you follow him, you won't be in darkness? When I was... When I had the idea for this series five years ago in that Starbucks in Overland Park, I was reading the Sermon on the Mount, and I was in a particular section of Matthew chapter 5, beginning, I think, around verse 21 and going through verse 48. And the part that just captured my attention and just pumped me up for the series was that Jesus was trying to explain what following him was like in real terms versus the way we've been taught. He was talking to a very religious crowd. He knew that they had had religion drilled into them. He knew that they had had rules drilled into them. And he was trying to explain to them that following him wasn't a matter of keeping rules. It was a matter of heart motivation. It wasn't stuff. It was attitudes and internal things. So time and time again in that section, Jesus would start off a statement by, you've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard people tell you this, but I'm telling you this. For instance, he said, You've heard it said, don't kill people. You, you have heard that, right? Don't kill people. And, and Jesus said, you've heard it said, but he said, I say to you that if you're angry with your brother without a cause, you're already in trouble. What helps me understand that statement is this. I don't know if any of you, you know, get into painting rooms or painting your house or whatever, but if you go down to a paint store, if you go down to like a, you know, a home decor kind of store, you can look for paint, and, and you see paint chips, right? Sometimes three shades, sometimes four shades, five shades, maybe eight shades of a particular color. And there's the darkest, the lightest, or vice versa. But you can see these are just different shades of the same color. And so what Jesus is doing is he's showing us a paint chip here. He's saying, okay, murder may be the darkest shade here, but anger is just a lighter shade of the same thing. You've heard it said, don't kill somebody, but Jesus said it's all about heart. I'm telling you, don't even be angry with somebody without a cause. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. Jesus said, I say to you, don't even lust after somebody who's not your mate. Jesus said, you've heard it said, you know, don't break your oaths, but I'm telling you, don't even swear at all. Just let yes mean yes and no mean no. Jesus said, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, don't even retaliate at all. Jesus said, you've heard it said, Love your friends and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for them. <laughs> and just in case they weren't sufficiently rocked enough, he said, if anybody makes you go one mile with them, go two. For oh, those of us who live in America today, that doesn't mean very much. If somebody makes you go one mile, what does that mean? Go two. And the way some of us drive, there's not a whole lot of difference. I mean, it'd just be a few extra seconds, right? Let me tell you what he meant. When Jesus gave his talk, Rome ruled the world. Rome tried to be a fairly benevolent, <laughs> fairly benevolent dictatorship. But there were rules for all conquered powers. And, but the Romans tried to put parameters on those rules. And, of course, Roman soldiers were stationed all over the, the world. That they dominated, and there was a global rule for all Roman powers that if a Roman soldier demanded that a young man carry his pack, his paraphernalia, whatever, it was law he had to carry it one mile, but no further. I don't know how other co- countries felt about this, but the Jews absolutely hated this law, about the only thing they hated more than this was taxation. It was so painful that historians tell us that Jewish boys... Would measure off a mile on either side of their house, drive down a little white stake, a little white peg, so that they would not have to walk one centimeter further. Unleash your imagination for a moment. How do you think this would usually go down? A Roman soldier comes to a young Jewish kid Hey, boy, carry my stuff. He's slow. This kid is deliberate. He, he slows down, delays as much as he possibly can, slings the stuff over his shoulders, picks up whatever he has to pick up, and drags his feet. And as soon as the soldier turns his back, the boy is muttering under his breath. Finally, he gets to the one-mile mark, slings it all down, throws it on the ground, and walks away muttering, someday my country's going to dominate yours, and I'll make you carry my stuff 100 miles. That's the norm. Can you imagine some kid who's bought into Jesus' teaching? Can you imagine how this must have messed with Roman soldiers when this happened? Here's a Roman soldier. Hey, boy, carry my pack. Pick it up. Carry it. Yes, sir. He walks for all a mile, goes past the marker, 60, 80, 100 paces. At this point, soldier's kind of smiling. Hey, son, I, I know you didn't recognize it. You passed your mile marker a little while back there. You don't have to go any further. Can you imagine this boy saying to the soldier, you know what, I've had such a great time carrying your stuff a mile, I think I'll carry it another mile. I think it'll be cool when we get to heaven to find out the story behind the story because it's interesting. There were, according to the Bible, several Roman soldiers... And commanders even who came to Jesus could it be I don't know could it be that there was a young man who just bought into this hey this is why you have light when you live like that you've heard it said but I say it's not about rules it's about heart and I know how it is some of us are some of us are backing up already okay <laughs> love my enemies pray for my enemies You don't know my enemies, Mark. If Jesus knew my enemies, he wouldn't ask me to do that. (laughs) I assure you, he did. So it could be that you're saying, I'm just not going to do this. All right, I accept that. Let me ask you a question, though. Even if you're hearing this whole thing and you're just like, I don't think so, wouldn't you like to marry somebody like this? (laughs) Wouldn't you like to marry somebody who doesn't get vengeance? Wouldn't you like to marry somebody who loved his or her enemies? Wouldn't you love to marry somebody who, whose yes meant yes and whose no meant no? Wouldn't You say, I did marry somebody whose no meant no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, wouldn't you like to marry somebody like this? Wouldn't you like to have a best friend like that? Wouldn't you like to have a savior like that? That's because it's the way to live. And Jesus said, if you follow me, you'll have plenty of light. Could be that you came in today and you said, Mark, I just barely made it here. I didn't feel like getting out of bed. My life is a wreck right now. When I saw the sun come up today, I thought, well, I don't feel like going to church, but I'm gonna try to get there. Maybe you came here today just thinking, I'm just coming for my kids. I don't know why, but our lives are so filled with stress right now. Do do you know that as I study the Bible and as I look at history, one of the things that I discover is that many of us begin to follow Jesus at that kind of moment? I think it's because largely the road that we've been on is not working. And it almost takes that for us to get off the selfish road and pick up a cross and follow Jesus. I think that Jesus knew a lot of us would come to him at moments like that. And it's for that reason that I give you the third text today in which Jesus invites you to follow him. He asks, are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me or follow me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And I love this promise. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Now, he didn't say life wouldn't. He said he wouldn't. See, the thing about following Jesus is this. It's so powerful because it simplifies life. Once we start following Jesus, we realize we don't have to live to please people. We don't have to live to look a certain way. We don't have to have a particular image. We don't have to convince other people that we have it going on. We can simplify life to the place where it's just basically, I'm following Jesus. I'm off the selfish road. I'm imitating what he does. I'm living the way he lives. My heart is open toward just pleasing God. The irony is when we get to that place, we begin to really live. The name I'm about to give you probably won't mean a whole lot unless you're a football fan, a pro football fan. But if you are a pro football fan or have been over the last 30 years, any time within, you probably know the name Pat Summerall. Pat was, I think, a kicker for the New York Giants in the 50s, but that's not why most of us know him. Most of us know him because his voice and his face has been on television calling football games, for really the last 40 years. And not just a football analyst in the top echelon. In fact, for many years, he was half of perhaps the greatest football play-by-play color commentary team of all time, Pat Summerall and John Madden. He's called 16 Super Bowls and been part of pre-gamer analysis for 10 more. For those of us who are familiar with that rich, resonant, baritone voice and those solid play-by-play abilities that he has, what we might not know about Pat Sumrall is that for most of his life he was an alcoholic and a very, very bad alcoholic. Pat's mom and dad divorced before he was born, and it left him with an emptiness that he tried to fill with alcohol. And he drank and he drank for most of his life. By 1994, he was not only an alcoholic, he was physically ill. He was sick much of the time, coughing up blood. And in 94, he was working the masters in Augusta. And at 4 o'clock in the morning, he got sick. He was coughing up blood. And he said he looked in the mirror and saw his image, and he said to himself, I don't want to live like this anymore. Uh, like Jesus' words, you hear that? Are you tired? Are you worn out? I was saying, I don't want to live like this anymore. He knew, of course, this issue was alcohol. At least that was part of his issue. He went to Betty Ford Clinic, and for 33 days he was there, and he got clean, and he got sober. But it still wasn't right. And now he couldn't understand, because he thought alcohol was his only issue, but clearly he didn't know what it was about. He happened to run into his old position coach with the Giants. Most of us will not know him as that. Most of us will know him as the legendary coach for many years of the Dallas Cowboys. Tom Landry. I've had few heroes in my life who are not preachers, but Tom Landry is on that very short list. In fact, it's interesting. This is a side note, but the last time I saw Landry was in 98, and he and I were talking about this building. He was so excited about what was happening in our church that we stood and talked about it for a good while. And Landry told Pat, your problem is you don't have Jesus in your life. He's who you're missing. Landry directed him to the man who was a chaplain for the Cowboys. Pat Sumrall gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ. And a few days later, as we experienced with Watermark, he went public with his faith and Believer's Baptism. And since that time, he's gone all over telling people about what Jesus can do. He was being being introduced the other day. You know, I love the way the guy who introduced him said it. He said, this is Pat Summerall. For years, he was the life of the party with a drink in his hand. But he said, today, Pat gets his power from another source. See, what resonates with me about that is I think a lot of us, when, when we're trying to be on the selfish road, we're getting our power from the wrong sources. And we get worn out and stressed. And Jesus is saying, hey... And this is not rules. This is Jesus. Hey, all of you who are weary and stressed out and over the edge and over the top and to the breaking point, come to me because he said, I won't ever lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. And Some of us remember an old translation where Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The whole Christian life, in two words, follow me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what we've experienced today. May your Holy Spirit clarify and individualize this message in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you pray with me for one more minute? In the early part of my talk today, I I spent quite a bit of time talking about how that eternal life is a gift. And it just kidding me that there's someone here today who said, Mark, I finally get it. I thought I had to be good enough. And I finally get it. It's not me. It's what Jesus did for me. I thought I had to earn it, but I just found out it's a gift. And I found out it's a 100% gift. And I really get it. But how do I get it? How do I get the gift? It's as simple as asking for it. Would you do that? Would you ask God for it? I mean, if Jesus were here today, which he is, but I mean, if you were to see Jesus in one of the sections, would you walk over to him and ask him for it? You don't even have to do that. You can ask him where you are. I'm going to pray a prayer. These aren't magic words, but these are words that call out to God. And if you're ready to make this step of just trusting Christ, putting all your confidence, your weight in him, I want to give you a, a, a prayer to pray. And, and it's not magic like I say, but if you mean it in your heart, the Lord will hear your prayer. Ready? Let's do it. Here we go. Dear God, I agree that I'm a sinner. I know I'm not good enough to go to heaven on my own. But I believe Jesus died for me. I believe his blood was a currency that paid for my sin. I ask you to forgive me. And make me your child. I receive your gift of unconditional love. Thank you. I look forward to seeing you. In Jesus' name.